Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, if you talk to fans and you listen to the fan conversation, there is one topic I believe that probably comes up almost more than anything else. And if you had to guess what that conversation is, I think you might guess wrong. It's not who's starting at left guard or, you know, anything related to that sort of X's and O's football talk. Honestly, the, the hottest topic, typically speaking, you know, more conversation, almost anything else is what time is the game going to be? And in fact, if you have like one of these like big websites sort of like Dog Nation is like a big website with kind of a big following that, you know, generates a lot of traffic. There are very few stories sort of week to week during the season that do. And I don't talk numbers very much. I don't care about numbers. I don't talk about them. But week to week, there are very few stories that do better from a kind of a page view standpoint than game time announcements. Fans just really care what time the game is. This is mostly for the fans that go to the games, I guess. But nonetheless, even if you're watching the game on TV, when the game is going to be played, how you sort of schedule your weekend around the game is a pretty big deal. Folks are just really, really interested in that. That's been true for a number of years, and it probably always will be that first and foremost on the mind of fans are the games and what time those games are going to be played, especially when it comes to kind of the age in which we're in now, where it seems like the night games for the majority of people, not everybody, there are some people that have their own reasons for liking the earlier start times, but the majority of fans, I think now sort of seem to think that the night games are just more fun. It makes room for more tailgating. Uh, The weather sometimes is more pleasant. You get the cool show with all the lights and just the atmosphere the vibe of the game is so much better there's a lot of energy being around having a night game so when the sec makes a big announcement about when games are going to take place there's always a lot of interest in that yesterday was one of those days when they gave an announcement for some game times taking place on october the 8th that's two saturdays from now let me show you the sec uh, on twitter about this we'll kind of you know look at the games of note here on that you'll notice that georgia did not draw a nighttime schedule for its game against auburn that's going to be at 3 30 on cbs this is the double header day cbs has had one of those per year uh and for their second game of their double header they're going to put texas a&m against alabama at night and put georgia there at 3 30 and georgia getting that slot against Auburn seemingly took that away from what could be LSU hosting Tennessee which is 12 p.m. Eastern time but going to be 11 a.m. Central more on that in a moment but every single week when the SEC drops a schedule like this there's a little bit of frustration for the fans that didn't get the night game or didn't get the time slot they wanted and yesterday Georgia fans were kind of no different now 330 is better than noon almost everybody would agree with that But it's another one of these games for Georgia where, hey, it's not a nighttime game. And there are a lot of Georgia fans who've been keeping track with this over the years. I saw a lot of this on social media yesterday. I want to show you one example here of somebody who's been tracking this going all the way back to 2005. Now, I haven't verified these numbers to say they're correct, but I also have no reason to believe they aren't. I've heard something like this kind of before. What 7L Florida says, which is a, uh, a uh, great Twitter handle, says is that when it comes to SEC home games at night since 2005, LSU's had 58, Kentucky's had 45, and way down at the bottom, the, I'm talking about way past anybody else, everybody else has, has had at least 30 since 2005, 
but Georgia's only had 16. The Georgia fan says on Twitter, can someone help me understand? This is a big recruiting advantage. He says this is updated after what, uh, you know, what's going to happen on uh, October 1st, which is this upcoming Saturday. And then he tags Georgia Athletic Director Josh Brooks in all of this. So for a lot of Georgia fans, they were mad that the Georgia-Auburn game was at 3.30 because it's another example of an opportunity for a home game at night there at Sanford Stadium that, that you know, just didn't happen. But if Georgia fans were mad about this, Oh my gosh, did you see how mad LSU fans got about the fact they got the 11 a.m. kickoff to host Tennessee? Now, I think this is really interesting because before I show you their reaction, let me just say this. In the past, when Georgia fans have complained, why do we play so many noon games? Why is there so many early starts? The one thing that always gets said, and this has been true for like a lot of different leadership factions at UGA. The one thing that always gets said is, well, you got to understand, we've got no control over this whatsoever. We just have to d- take whatever TV gives us. We have no control over over this a- at all. That's what we've been told over and over again. And the fact that Georgia has so many fewer night games than anybody else in the SEC, it's just some sort of anomaly, but it's not anything that anyone could control. This is just sort of what TV has chosen to do. And maybe that's true. I certainly have no reason to believe that it isn't. Smart people have told me that, and I have a tendency to trust smart people. But... It's really interesting to watch the reaction at LSU to getting the shortest straw of all and having to host Tennessee in a relatively big home game at 11 a.m. local time next week. Let me show you what a couple of their media folks said yesterday, citing some reaction within the LSU program. Big time controversy here. Let me start with Shay Dixon, who uh, works now, I believe, for On3, saying that LSU's home game next Saturday against Tennessee is going to be set for 11 a.m. on ESPN. I'm hearing that the SEC, listen to this now, I'm hearing that the SEC pushed for LSU Tennessee to get the 2.30 or 7 p.m. slots. CBS went the other way with their doubleheader. They decided to pair Georgia and Auburn with Alabama against uh, Texas A&M. Jacques Doucet, who's also a TV reporter out there in Louisiana, said uh, that the decision for CBS to pass not just once but twice on this contest has upset many people, I'm told, including LSU AD Scott Woodward and even some SEC officials and leadership. Uh, That's the TV reporter from Louisiana and the uh, reporter from on three that uh, covers LSU saying oh everybody's just upset that LSU's playing 11 a.m local time everybody's just mad about that now I got two things to say here thing number one LSU got embarrassed on Labor Day night against Florida State who are you to be thinking you're gonna dictate your game time against anybody you should just be lucky you are on television I mean you know this is 2019 anymore Joe Burrow ain't walking through that door the idea that LSU is some you know hot tv product that everybody's salivating to see why don't you worry about beating Auburn this week and then we can talk about what time your game is the following Saturday but beyond that if this is true in multiple sources here two guys have been covering the the, the beat for a long time are saying that uh, the SEC stepped in on this. The SEC was pushing for LSU to get the better game time. Well, does the SEC get off trying to help LSU get a better game time? And when, at what point in time is the SEC ever going to step in and help Georgia with anything? You know, last year, Georgia's two big home games, games that were big enough that ESPN's College Game Day was on campus for consecutive games. When Georgia hosted Arkansas, when Georgia hosted uh, Kentucky, neither one of those are night games. The Arkansas game was at noon. Like, where was where was any SEC uh, help at all there to say, hey, we'd like to see this Georgia-Arkansas game or this Georgia-Kentucky game in a little bit better TV window? Or is the SEC stepping in to help on that? And for all this talk of, well, you got no control over the TV windows, you have to do whatever TV t- tells you to do, then how come the folks at LSU and apparently the SEC on LSU's behalf 
were trying to uh, put their thumb on the scale to kind of rearrange the TV schedule, frankly, in a way that would benefit another team more than was going to benefit Georgia. Here's my point on this. Fans care about game times. TV controls all of this. But if that's going to be the case, I believe there ought to be a little bit more transparency about how all of this is figured out. Yesterday, there was a pretty big controversy related to this. Who deserves the nighttime? SEC West teams don't think they should have to play 11 a.m. Central. Um, well, if that's the case, then it just needs to be more stated. It just needs, needs to be a little bit more, I guess, accurately covered about exactly what's going on here. Because as it stands yesterday, I think it's a reminder of a topic that fans care greatly about the actual method for which you decide where these games are going to take place and what time these games are going to take place, boy, it seems like a lot of this kind of stuff is too shrouded in mystery and it creates too much opportunity for controversy. This is something the SEC could do a better job with. Now, shifting gears and talking about something else for a minute. Georgia will play at night this Saturday, but it's on the road at Missouri. And I think it's a chance for us to see in the fifth game of the season, the real Georgia actually stand up. Because here's what we've seen in four games from Georgia neutral side game against Oregon pretty big spot completely dominant just absolutely throttled its opponent and Oregon's actually turned out to be pretty good since then on the road at South Carolina once again completely throttling the Gamecocks flexing in a way that only the best teams in the country are capable of doing and yet in two home games against overmatched opponents Georgia's been you know less than that so Saturday is a fifth data point it's a chance to kind of show what Georgia's all about. Is the real Georgia the one that kind of sleepwalks through the Sanford and Kent State game? Or is the real Georgia the one that absolutely stomps through the Oregon and uh, South Carolina games? The game against Missouri is a little bit of a data point related to all of that. And yesterday during his press conference, Kirby Smart talked about the chance to go out and impress in this game on the road and the challenge that comes with that in the SEC. This was Kirby Smart from yesterday. Anytime you go on the road in the SEC, we talk about it all the time. Uh, it's tough to win on the road in the SEC, and uh, got a lot of respect for Eli, um, the job he's done, uh, what he does offensively and defensively. They do a good job. Uh, I've always thought a lot about um, the job he does offensively and the issues they create uh, defensively as well. This year they got big personnel up front. Uh, they play physical. Um, they just played a really tough game against Auburn. Uh, tough way to lose a game. Um, but we're looking forward to getting ready for these guys and uh, going on the road in the SEC. So Kirby talking about going on the road in the SEC. I think it's really easy when you see Georgia's like four touchdown favorite uh, or something in that neighborhood against Missouri. You know, Paul Feinbaum yesterday called this a part of a dismal stretch for UGA. It's really easy to sort of treat this sort of ho-hum and, you know, not all that interesting. But I don't think you should take for granted what Georgia's been doing in its true road games as of late. We mentioned what you be second 48 7 something like that you go back to last year true road game against tech you won 49 45 nothing true road game at tennessee last year won 41 17 true road game at auburn last year you won 34 7 at vanderbilt last year you won 62 to nothing and all of this just seems like business as usual for uga when you're dominating these opponents on the road but trust me when i tell you it's not as easy as georgia has made it look to win its road games in as dominant a fashion as it has and you really can look no further than Alabama as proof of that because Alabama hasn't been nearly as good on the road 
as Georgia has been. Now, they haven't always lost those games, although they did last year at Texas A&M, but they've certainly played them closer than the experts thought they were supposed to. Like at the beginning of this season when they barely beat Texas on the road, and yet Texas has gone on to loss, or lose another game since then to Texas Tech this past Saturday. Or as I mentioned, losing to Texas A&M on the road last year. Or how about taking an Auburn team that was actually below average, pretty bad Auburn team, uh, Auburn on the road, or Alabama on the road last year against Auburn, took that game all the way to overtime. And you can kind of do some side-by-side comparisons over the course of really kind of like the last, you know, you know, certainly the last year plus, 2022 and 2021. And you see a big difference between Georgia and Alabama in terms of how dominant Georgia has been on the road. And another dominant performance from Georgia on Saturday would be an indication that maybe the real Georgia really is the one that's been dominating FBS level competition, Power Five level competition thus far this year. Maybe the sleepwalk version of Georgia, that's just kind of the you know the fake version of UGA that happened to show up for those two home games. But if it does happen that way, don't take it for granted. Going on the road, winning easily, the way that Georgia has now for Uh, more than a year, it's not as easy as Georgia has made it look. But if it does make it look easy again this week, then I think you have to come to reckon with this Georgia team really may be as good as advertised. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Good to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref Podcast. However you find them, we start at 945 for our first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. And we are the show that tells you we're going to go for two and 22. You see, we kind of, if you're watching a video anyway, we kind of cleaned up our hashtag here on this little bit. Hashtag go for two in 22. Kind of makes it a little shorter, a little tighter, a little bit easier for us to type and easier for you to type there as well. And we send that message to each other as a reminder. Two fingers in the air. Uh, that's what George is pushing for. Another national championship here this season. The same way that dogs uh, pursue excellence like that each and every day. Our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia, who brings this show to you today, they do the exact same thing. Except it's not college football the way that UGA does. It's foundation and waterproofing issues. Because uh, let's face it, after all, uh, certainly Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs understand the importance of a strong foundation. And your home certainly requires that strong foundation there as well. And that's what Engineered Solutions of Georgia can help you protect Uh, let's face it we're about to have a lot of rain here over the course of the next couple of days that means you're going to see water creeping in in some cases some of you will be seeing water creeping in places it's not supposed to be and over the course of time the presence of that water after the rain or when it's kind of flowing into your house that can create a much larger problem. That's where Engineered Solutions Georgia can step in. Or if you've seen those cracks start showing your walls or down there in your basement floor or something like that, once again, potentially the sign of a problem and evidence that you need to reach out, my friends, at Engineered Solutions Georgia. They're a solutions-based company. That means if it's a small fix, a simple fix, and sometimes it is, they'll tell you that. But if it's something more substantial, they'll tell you that there too. They're proud partners of UGA. Uh, good to support those that support the dogs. Longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. You know how much I appreciate your support of those who've been good to us there as well. And a solutions-based company with an entire team of engineers on staff. Nobody else in our market can say that. The resources they put to work for you to fix your foundation or your waterproofing issues. So give them a call. 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, on our program today, I'm going to tell you, we have two great guests. I told you Georgia, Missouri, this Saturday night in Columbia, uh, Missouri, Como, as they call it. Well, the guy that's going to call the game on the SEC network, Tom Hart, he's going to join us 
a little bit later on. We'll get some thoughts from Tom about what to expect from Missouri, what he's seen thus far from the dogs. Always kind of nice to get that sort of outside perspective on UGA and Tom, who sees all the teams in the SEC and preparing this week to see the dogs for the first time. I'm sure he'll have a lot to say uh, interesting about UGA. And we'll ask him about kind of the controversy around who gets to play at night and you know, who gets to sort of argue their cause for for what times they should play and, you know, why this seems to be such a topic shrouded in mystery. We'll talk to Tom Hart about that more coming up here in just a little bit, too. He's not picking the games, but he's certainly, you know, working for a network that has some influence over when the games get picked. So we'll see if he has anything interesting to say about that. Also coming up in about five minutes, we'll talk to Jake Fromm there as well, former Georgia quarterback, what he saw from the game against Kent State and what he thinks that Georgia needs to work on as it gets back to the business of SEC play again on Saturday. That's going to be really fun but for now let's go around the doghouse and it's uh, presented today by our friends at georgia's own credit union something else that kirby smart was talking about during his weekly press conference yesterday he was asked about uh, jeff collins another one of these georgia rivals that's kind of gotten fired during the smart era i don't know that uh, that Collins got fired because he couldn't beat Georgia because the truth is uh, very few teams have beaten Georgia but Collins is certainly someone that uh, has kind of been burned up in the orbit of the dogs like a lot of rival coaches have and Kirby Smart was asked yesterday if he even noticed <laughs> that Jeff Collins had gotten fired and as you might imagine uh, the Yellow Jackets right now are not really on Kirby's agenda and not really on his radar probably not surprising but this is what Kirby Smart said about that yesterday Man, I'm worried about Missouri. That's all I can tell you. I don't have a lot to say. I mean, since that game, my eyes have been on Missouri and concentrated on them, getting ready to play them. Uh, I wouldn't be the head coach at Georgia if I was worried about other things. I got to owe it to our team and our university to concentrate on what I can control. So Kirby says right now he's not worried about the tech job, tech situation, and we would all understand that. I don't think many of us are thinking very much about tech either. However, there were at least some reports out there that maybe Georgia might have reason to think about tech at least eventually. Pete Thamel, who uh, covers a lot of this stuff for ESPN, has put out a long list of potential candidates for the Georgia Tech job. And lo and behold, three of the names on Thamel's list are current Georgia assistants. Let me show you this from Pete Thamel here on Twitter. He's not the only one that's mentioned at least one or two of these, but I'll read them all to you. He says, Thamel says on Twitter, here are the names for the Georgia Tech coaching job. Jamie Chadwell, that's the Coastal Carolina coach. Bill O'Brien, that's former tech assistant obviously Alabama offensive coordinator right now Jeff Munkin uh, that's the army coach Troy Calhoun Bill Clark Bronco Mendenhall Todd Munkin Charles Huff Sean Lewis that's the coach that Georgia's played Al Golden Brian McClendon Del McGee Thomas Brown that's another I guess guy with Georgia ties mentioned with this uh, Alex Grinch Kane Womack Brent Key and George Godsey who's an NFL assistant and a former tech quarterback so leave this up here if you don't mind let's go through this here for a little bit I don't think there's any way Thomas Brown has any interest in the uh, Georgia Tech job I think that Thomas Brown's actually working his way up the NFL coaching ranks pretty well right now so I think his future may be on Sundays when it comes to McGee McClendon and Todd Munkin here's what I'll tell you I'm trying to be as objective as I possibly can. When Munkin's name showed up on the Arizona State wish list, some of the reporters had Munkin mentioned there. I said, I don't believe that Arizona State's the kind of job a guy like Todd Munkin should probably want. I think that Arizona State has been ruined by you know the 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 Herm Edwards era NCAA stuff. I think the Pac-12 mishandled the pandemic. I think all of that has put a lot of uh, – I guess negativity, a stench, I would say, on football out west right now. In fact, it's not even obvious that the Pac-12 is going to exist 
in future years. I don't think that Arizona State, which typically speaking is a you know upper half job in uh, Power Five, you know it's above the Mendoza line, the median of Power Five jobs. I would say, but right now I believe that's not the case. I think that actually, while typically speaking, Arizona State's a better job than Georgia Tech. I don't know if that's the case right now. People say, well, Tech's terrible. But listen, if you're the head coach at a place that's terrible, all the more job security for you. Tech can't afford to buy out. That's just more time you get on the job to keep earning that salary and keep coaching this team and keep trying to find a way to figure it out. So I'm not saying that Todd Munkin would leave Georgia, go to Georgia Tech, but I do think the Tech job right now probably has a little bit going for it that, like, say, an Arizona State job probably doesn't. I really want to see Dale McGee be a head coach. I really do. I really hope it's not a place like Georgia Tech because I'd love to be able to root for McGee wherever he does become a head coach, the same way we all kind of root for Sam Pittman right now. I would love for that to be the case. But, I mean, Tech could do a lot worse than a guy that has some pretty strong ties to the state of Georgia when it comes to recruiting. As far as Brian McClennan, that's another name to watch, name on the rise. Honestly, I don't know what Tech is going to do for its coaching job. I think it could do a lot worse than any of those three names. For obvious reasons, I hope none of them get it, even though I'd like to see all three of those guys you know, kind of advance in their career. That's just kind of the name of the game in coaching. But interesting to see from a respected voice, three current Georgia assistants mentioned as potential candidates for that job. I think the best guy that Tech probably could hire is probably Chadwell, the guy from Coastal Carolina, a guy who's had some success and won some games and has a little bit of an innovative offense. If you want to make a hire that has any chance of succeeding, Chadwell's probably the example of that. I don't think the Deion Sanders stuff to Tech is probably real, uh, but I did want you to be aware there were three names mentioned from Georgia as potential candidates there for Georgia Tech. That is Around the Doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union, and of course, Georgia's Own Credit Union, uh, a great resource when it comes to those Visa Signature and Platinum cards. I'm traveling here this week. I'm heading up to Columbia, Missouri. A lot of you traveling a lot during the fall there as well, or you're just sort of buying things more this time of year than you typically do. Well, the Visa Signature and Platinum cards make that experience more enjoyable, and you get great benefits for the stuff that you're buying. I'm talking about uh, flex rewards that can be used for about anything gift cards, cash back, travel, merchandise, so much more. You can also earn up to $150 when you open a new platinum or signature card. There are some restrictions that apply, so check them out online, georgiasown.org for more details on that. That's georgiasown.org. All right, it's good to have you here and great to have Georgia's Own Credit Union with us for Around the Doghouse. Before we're done, Tom Hart from the SEC Network. But for now, everything on a Georgia win against Kent State, but maybe some stuff to work on in the process. Let's talk to the great former Georgia quarterback and a great, great guest on our program, Jake Fromm, right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So Jake Fromm knows what it's like to win games in the SEC, knows what it's like to have a lot of scrutiny after a game, even when Georgia won against the Golden Flash of Kent State on Saturday. So Jake, I guess let's start right there. You watch the game probably different than I do because I think you have a better understanding of what the you know players on a per-play basis are trying to execute. So what did you see from Georgia against Kent State? And I guess more importantly, in a game that was probably a little closer than the experts thought it should be, where did you see areas for improvement for Georgia? Hey, Brandon, what's going on? Thanks for having me again. Um, yeah, man, I just, just watching the game. I, it's, it's a typical noon kickoff in Athens. I've been a part of a, a really bad experience of one. Um, yeah. I think it's just a uh, a little bit of a lack of focus coming into the game, thinking they're just going to roll over somebody and be on to the next week. So uh, I, I think it's just coming in, having a little bit more focus. doesn't matter who you're playing. And I think it also comes down to the turnover margin. Had a few turnovers in the game, looked a little sloppy. I think that's something they'll easily fix up and be moving on 
next week at Missouri. And to kind of back up your point here a little bit, it's easier to assume that's probably true that, hey, lack of focus, maybe just a little bit sleepy because of the early start, you know, not that jazzed about the opponent because we've seen four games from Georgia now. I talked about this before you joined us. Yep. You know, two of those are against Power 5 competitions in pretty high-profile positions, and Georgia completely throttles Oregon, and Oregon's actually turned out to be pretty good on the road in the SEC. I mean, you know, just had to call off the dogs essentially eventually in South Carolina that could have beaten them as bad as they wanted to there that day and yet the two games against lesser competition Sanford and Kent State Georgia's actually played certainly less well in those games than it did in the other games your point about you know maybe some of this was just about a lack of focus or a lack of energy the fact that you've got four games and the two games against lesser opponents have looked so different than the others maybe that is the evidence that proves that right I I think so a little bit and uh, credit to Oregon, too. They're only making that win look better uh, than it already did. Um, I, I think it's just going to be a big testament uh, and um, just a, a, a work and an effort from the older guys and the leadership on the team uh, to make sure that level of focus, that level of discipline stays the same. The standard does not change. It doesn't matter who uh, they're playing week to week. So I think that's something they're going to move on because they're going to get into the SEC gauntlet. The SEC East has looked really good uh, come off this, uh, yeah. coming off uh, early into this year, even better than the SEC West. So um, I, I think that, that little focus is going to easily be amplified uh, going into uh, the tough part of their schedule. I think we talked about this last week, but it's worth mentioning again. How good is Brock Bowers right now? Because, you know, you see him used in uh, so yeah. many creative ways, he, and he just seems to find the end zone in every situation imaginable, how much fun is it watching this guy, and how impressed are you with what you're seeing, you know, from him on a week to week basis? Yeah, it's super impressive to see because uh, it's just, hey, what do you want to do with him? Do you want to use him as a running back? Do you want to use him as a receiver? Do you want to use him as a tight end uh, catching a pass out of the back? But, I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do with him, you can. He is just an incredible athlete, uh, and not only is he a great athlete, he he's just. He's got the football IQ. He's got the, uh, the the swagger in the game. He understands the game. He knows how to use his body. Uh, phenomenal ball skills, catching the football. And, man, when he has the ball in his hands as a runner, good luck taking him down. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I guess it's also a thing about Todd Munkin here, too, because, Jake, you know one of the things that kind of comes out of that game is, hey, you know, some folks have some questions about how the Georgia rushing game is performing, you know, specifically kind of traditional runs with running backs. And yet, ultimately – you know, this is where Munkin, you know, kind of shows his ability. He got Ladd McConkey involved in the rushing game last week. You know, he got uh, Bowers a rushing touchdown at South Carolina. And you come back and you get Bowers kind of involved that way, too. They've made quarterback run a big part of what they're doing. I mean, some of the story with Brock Bowers is, at least in my eyes, and you can speak to this better than I can, but just how creatively a guy like Todd Munkin seems to be able to use the, the skill set that Brock Bowers brings to the table. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, and, and I made that comment after the South Carolina game. Of I, I think we need to do a better job of running the football more effectively, more efficiently, um, because coming out of the South Carolina game, uh, I believe Stetson was a leading rusher. I think Brock had a, a, a large amount of rushing yards. Lad Conkey had a large amount of rushing yards. So I, I, I am ready to see more of the running backs take on more of this load, uh, some more power. Uh, some more inside zone. See the ball run down. The, uh, run the ball uh, in between the tackles uh, downfield, um, and basically say, "Hey, we're bigger, we're tougher than you, and you can't stop us." Yeah. So along those lines, when you talk about that need to kind of do more of that, well, I think you're making a great point. 
is this about, hey, offensive line got to open up a bigger hole? Is this about, hey, you know, running backs got to hit the hole or maybe make a man miss? Like, when you look at what the Georgia rushing game sort of has been and maybe in some areas where it kind of needs to improve, like, what is the missing ingredient to get more of that? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of, of everybody. I think it's the off the line taking a little bit of ownership of it to, hey, we're going to move those four to slash five guys up front. Uh, and there's nothing they can do about it. Uh, and, a, and a challenge to the running backs as well. Say, hey, uh, we're going to give you the hole. You go take it, go break one tackle, and let's go take this thing to the house. So we still haven't seen that big run come from running back. Obviously, we saw it last week with Brock. But uh, I'm ready to see a running back say, hey, I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to be the next uh, Nick Sony, Swift, uh, from the long line of running back, Todd Gurley, you know, any of these guys. I'm going to be the next one of those guys, uh, and I'm going to take ownership. It's going to be my my rushing attack. It's going to be my running football team. One of the other stories that came out of the game on Saturday was Lad McConkey, who has been a very important part of a lot of what Georgia has done, did not have a great game on Saturday. He would admit that. Everybody else would kind of admit that on his behalf. Now, he did redeem himself as the game went on, but there were some dry passes. There was mishandled punt. And, you know, Kirby Smart, I love what he said after the game on Saturday of, hey, I'm going to love him. I'm going to, you know, you know, basically offer him some encouragement. Because, listen, we all know that McConkey is a really important part of what Georgia's trying to do here, uh, Jake. But, you know, how do you think Georgia can kind of help him bounce back from a game like that? Because as I said, there's no doubt that Georgia needs him. He's been he's been a big, you know, part of this overall formula here. But what's it like internally for a guy like McConkey kind of restoring his confidence after what was admittedly not a very good game for him on Saturday? Yeah, I think anybody can say they've had a bad football game. Um, and, you know, if we're being honest, if Lad's going to have a bad football game, I think we would all agree that if he's going to have one, let's let's have it be that game uh, and not a bigger SEC opponent. So um, everybody's going to have one. I think moving forward for him, I think it's just going back to practice, uh, going back to practice, getting his swagger there, going against the DBs who are some of the best in the country, uh, and just basically getting his swagger back there, getting a little confidence moving into next week. I, I think we're going to see a big bounce back game from him. I'm not too worried about it. Uh, I love Lad. I think he is a is a great fit for this offense. Um, and, and a really key piece moving forward. So uh, I'm looking forward to him bouncing back and, and having some big games coming up. I want to finish with this, and kind of goes back to something you kind of talked about a little earlier. Jake, Georgia has been just annihilating people on the road. South Carolina this season, you go back to last year, it's Tech, it's Vanderbilt. I'm talking about like yep. 60 and 50 to nothing, and even good teams yep. on the road, Georgia's been handling their business there. What's the formula for that? How does how, how does Georgia get that focus? How does Georgia embrace the challenge of being on the road in the SEC and make these games look really easier than they're actually supposed to look? Yeah, it, it really – to me, it comes down to approach, and where that approach starts from is from the top down. I think Chris Smart does a great job of a week-to-week during uh, practice, uh, the way they do the travel schedule, moving. It's, it's the same thing every time they go play on the road. So there's, there's really nothing different for the guys. They're used to the plan, the routine, the itinerary. Uh, so they just, they just fall back into a habit and – it's just there's less distractions going on the road. You're on an airplane. You're with everybody. You're going to a hotel. There's less distractions um, than otherwise there would be in Athens. So obviously, the main formula for uh, having a winning football team and getting to the SEC championship is winning at home. But I think when you're a really good football team and winning on the road, uh, you can be extremely dangerous. And, you know, you mentioned, hey, noon start last week. This is a night game. As a player, 
what's the more normal body clock type game is it is it noon is it 3 30 is it 7 30 I mean obviously your job is to play well no matter what time the game is but did you find that you felt more normal at at, at different times uh when it comes to when the game starts yeah so you said it it doesn't matter when you play uh as a college athlete as a professional athlete doesn't matter your job is to get up and get ready to get ready to play a football game but I would say uh, the way uh, Coach Smart plans practice, the way everything's set up on a day-to-day schedule, it is set up for those midday, 3.30, 4 o'clock type games because of class in the morning. I mean, you're practicing it basically 3.30, 4 o'clock every day. So uh, for me, I always loved a 3.30 kickoff. Those were all, you, generally the big games on CBS, uh, Georgia-Florida, and whoever big opponent we played. Uh, to me, those were always the funnest and, and the best to get up for. So, uh, But night games, man, there's always something special about night games, going back to high school, Friday night lights, the whole thing. So uh, for me, I, I love that 3.30 clock, but uh, the night games are definitely uh, a quick number two on the list. So, But I, I think the guys will be ready. Just a little couple movies they'll watch early in the morning and be ready to roll. <laughs> Uh, Jake, I tell you, I, I love your perspective on Georgia football. You obviously understand so much of how the game is played, and you're so good about talking about it with us here. I just really appreciate your time. So much fun to have this discussion with you each and every week. I hope you have a uh, great week, and we'll look forward to uh, getting a chance to do this again next week there as well, hopefully talking about a big win against the Missouri Tigers. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So I think we lost Jake right there on the goodbye, but uh, nonetheless, uh, really, really fun stuff with him and glad to have him on board uh, for that. And I will tell you this, you know, as somebody who, you know, kind of does what I do for a living, I find the game times to be a little weird sometimes in terms of when you have to beat your best. You know, like as an adult working a job like this, it just so happens that you know, we kind of do this show at sort of what I think of as a normal time, right? I think most people are kind of at their best morning, especially kind of that mid-morning type thing. That's when you probably are your most productive. It just so happens that's when we, you know, do this show each and every day. So that feels really normal to me. When a Georgia game is at night and you know you got to do that post-game show after it's over with, that takes a little bit of psyching up for me. It takes a lot of caffeine sometimes there as well to kind of be at my sort of emotional apex at a time in which normally I might even be asleep, right? So... You have to kind of prepare for that. There have been brief moments in my life when I've kind of maybe filled in on like 11 o'clock news or something like that on TV, and that's really weird. When you sit around all day waiting for like 11.32 at night to do two minutes worth of sports, that's just a very odd time to be at your best, I would say. And sometimes sports kind of calls you to kind of do that kind of stuff too, kind of change when you might be at your strongest, when you might be at your best. I think that's kind of a... I think that's kind of a, an interesting thing to consider. And as Jake said, hey, listen, no matter what time the game is, you may feel you know comfortable at 3.30 because it's kind of right there in the middle or you know the Saturday night might kind of remind you of Friday night lights when you're in high school, but you've got to go out there and do the job no matter what it is. And by the way, speaking of doing the job, my job right now is to invite you to come cruising with us around the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean, and also be a part of our second-ever cruise with Dog Nation coming up this April. Now, you don't have to wait until April to be on your next Royal Caribbean cruise or your first Royal Caribbean cruise. But we want you there with us in April when we all go cruising together. I'll, I'll be doing a couple. One in uh, December. I got one coming up in February. Really excited about that. But it all leads to what we're all going to do in April together, starting on April 24th on Independence of the Seas from Port Canaveral, going to Nassau on the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day Coco Cay, being there with all of you on the second ever cruise with Dog Nation. Now, if you want more details about this, check out royaldogs.com for more on that. That's royaldogs.com. 
You can also uh, give Jessica Slater a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147, and she's got you covered on all of that. She'll answer your questions. She'll get you ready to go for what's going to be a great, great uh, time. And you can uh, check all of that out with her there. The stuff that's on board. We've also got special things we're going to be doing there, too. Special events with Dog Nation. Um, may have some fun and surprises in store for you there, too. I just can't wait to do all of this with you here coming up. Uh, when we head on Independence and Seas this upcoming April, royaldogs.com. That's the website to get more information there on that. All right, let's bounce around with some SEC topics here for a moment. Starting with a piece of recruiting news of note for Georgia fans tonight, live on the Dog Nation video channels, we're going to give you coverage of four-star wide receiver Tyler Williams from Lakeland, Florida, getting ready to make his announcement. I'll show you his graphic on the screen here, which gives you his list of finalists. Uh, Hayes Foss from On3, who always does such a good job with this. Uh, he gives you these. You look at uh, you know Clemson, Texas A&M, and uh, you know Ole Miss, and uh, Georgia and South Carolina. You don't see Miami there, but although although Miami is, I think, a, a pretty big factor here in all this. Uh, you see, I guess, what, Tennessee on the glove there. So kind of an interesting graphic, and I think it's sort of thought to be a little bit of a Georgia-Miami battle kind of down the stretch here on this, and a battle that Georgia has a chance to win. We know how important this is. Georgia needs to win big-time battles with elite wide receivers. Williams would be an example of all of that. Of course, Georgia just lost out on Hakeem Williams. Another uh, elite receiver for the class of 2023, which chose uh, who chose Florida State over the weekend. That was not a surprise. Uh, Georgia had seemingly been trending away from Hakeem for a while, and late in the process, it seems like the Florida State Seminoles had really kind of emerged. So putting a little bit more emphasis on Georgia, go out and win a battle like this. I think that Georgia fans have some justifiable confidence here, but we've also seen a lot of these decisions kind of change at the last minute during this cycle. So we'll be watching it closely and able to provide you some video coverage of this later on tonight there as well. We are looking forward to that. Now, speaking of former elite wide receiver recruits, there was a little bit of chatter yesterday online as it relates to the former five-star Luther Burden, who chose Missouri. That's his kind of home state team over Georgia in a battle during the class of 2022. But there's at least some reason to believe that maybe Burden's not super happy in Columbia here right now, or at least sent some sort of message that's going to be interpreted in some kind of way. Uh, some of y'all shared this with me, including Frankie Fibonacci, who writes to me on Twitter to say, hey, B.A., looks like uh, Luther may be looking to take his talents elsewhere. And he shares somebody on Twitter kind of pointing out that Burden had deleted pictures and Missouri information from his bio. And then Burden kind of had this like very, very cryptic, patiently waiting type symbol here uh, online that uh, that some folks were based on the fact that it was also paired with taking the Missouri stuff down. Ooh, what does this mean? What is this about? Our buddy Mad Dog, who's always so funny on Twitter there as well. <laughs> wrote in to say uh, Kirby could be trying to do a lot more than just take a win from Missouri on Saturday and he's paired Burden standing here with uh with Kirby Smart I mean here's one thing I can tell you I don't have any idea what's going on with Luther Burden I, I simply don't know that but I, I do know this that if there was ever a chance to kind of get back involved with Burden again I suspect this time might go a little bit different than last time because you've got different personnel in place who are kind of a part of this kind of recruiting story. You know, last time you're talking about, you know, Cortez Hankton being on the job. Now you got Brian McClendon on the job. And I'm not saying that alone would be enough to kind of swing, swing the battle and allow Georgia to win that recruiting battle. Uh, first of all, there's not even a recruiting battle right now. You know, it's not even obvious what, uh, what Burden meant by this message. But if he ever considered transferring, I would say that Georgia would have a little bit different maybe pitch to Burden this time than it had last time, you know, just given the recruiting staff that's in place here going after that. But as it stands right now, Burden is still 
on the Missouri roster. And oftentimes these kind of cryptic tweets sort of end up not really being much about anything. It was odd when Burden went to Missouri. I think most of us had this thought of here's a great, potentially great player playing on a program that's, you know, pretty lousy. And after a few games, that sort of seems to to have been, uh, I guess, sort of resonated with what's going on there. So we'll keep our eye on this, but it's not obvious yet that it means anything. And then finally, there's this. So there is a lot of energy starting to build about this week in college football, both in the SEC and kind of you know around uh, the sport here too. A really, really fun collection of top twenty-five games, SEC games. You know, it seems like every year when we get to October, this sort of ends up being true, and this is kind of another example of that. Where hey, you know, I think that. Alabama-Arkansas is a really interesting game. I think that Texas and Mississippi State is a really interesting game. Obviously, you know, Georgia's back on the road here in SEC play. You start looking, you know, outside the top 20, you know, in the top 25. In the ACC, you got a couple pretty good games. You know, Clemson after, you know, holding off and beating Wake Forest. Now they get a chance to play NC State. You've got, um, you know, this is one of those things where, like, you finally wait long enough and you sort of get rid of all the FBS versus FCS or, like, 40-point spread type games, although Georgia's still a pretty big favorite on Saturday. And you kind of settle into what expects to be a pretty big weekend. And and in college football in the SEC, that's definitely the case. I'm looking forward to kind of chopping up some of those games with you in the days to come. But we got a lot of fun in terms of the upcoming slate here for a college football. So keep that in mind. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. As we get ready to welcome on uh, Tom Hart here in just a moment to our program. I'll also give a shout out to our friends at the Durham Law Group there as well, because if you've been hurt or injured in an accident, well, the Durham Law Group is going to step up for you because they don't just practice personal injury law, they define it. And one of the reasons and the ways in which they're able to do that is by making a promise to you that you won't pay any fees or expenses unless you win. They want to support you. They want to set you up for success. And that's one of the ways they do that. No pays, no fee uh, no, no fees unless you win. And with the Durham Law Group, you're going to have a great chance of doing that. You can contact them for more information at 844-4GA-HURT. That's 844-4GA-HURT. You can also visit them online at georgiahurt.com. That's that website, georgiahurt.com, all spelled out. Make sure you check them out today. And on Saturday night on the SEC Network, make sure you check out the broadcast as Georgia takes on Missouri. One of our favorite broadcast teams is the one with Tom Hart on play-by-play, along with Jordan Rogers and Cole Kublik, always having a lot of fun. You can always tell these guys genuinely love their jobs and certainly love SEC football. So fun to have them on the call for the Georgia game there on Saturday, and also fun to have Tom Hart here with us today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Tom, thanks for taking the time. I know it's a busy week for you. Uh, we are certainly looking forward to having you on the call on Saturday and glad to have you on the show here today. Hey, B.A., thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, it should be a fun atmosphere in Como, which just happens to be my hometown, and I'm looking forward to seeing the dogs in person. That's um, obviously an impressive team, so many levels, and coming up of a – if you can have a less than impressive win, I guess that was it. Um, I don't think motivation will be a problem Saturday night, and, and I think Kirby has probably had them properly motivated throughout the week already. Yeah, along those lines, I think one of the things that's valuable for us in the show is when we get perspective what we think of is sort of outside the dog nation bubble you've obviously watched georgia a lot yeah. getting ready for this game i think you saw alabama i think on saturday night like what is your evaluation of georgia if you don't mind going into a little bit more uh, uh detail on that because 
two really good games against Power Five competition, a little bit of a sleepwalk against sort of lesser competition. Um, you know, how do you evaluate you know Georgia right now and kind of maybe where it fits into the national landscape here at the moment? Well, from a national perspective, it's it's pretty evident that they're you know the haves and the have-nots, and and there's a very few that deserve to be in that top tier, and, and obviously Georgia's one of them. The dismantling of South Carolina was one thing because that's a that's a conference opponent, but the the Oregon game was just ruthless efficiency uh, to score touchdowns on the first six drives to do it with I mean one was a short ish field, but really those were solid sustained drives, and I think Georgia sent a message game one right off the bat, big audience, a lot of people watching SEC versus the Pac twelve, and they absolutely hammered them and said we're we're not just the defending national champions we should be considered favorites to repeat and do it again uh, as rare as that is in college football i don't know where you you know if you wanted to take issue with uh motivation or effort or whatever it may have been against kent state on saturday that's fine but uh make no mistake about it this is an elite team and they've proven under kirby to be an elite program uh, that I'm just I'm just stating the obvious here. I mean, most of that goes without saying. On the Missouri side, you know, I thought what first game against Louisiana Tech, I thought they you looked pretty good. I don't make a huge deal about the Kansas State game because I think Kansas State's actually a pretty good team. But boy, since then, yeah. I think that you know, you know, not a great performance. I don't think against Abilene Christian. Obviously, the Auburn game was a a little bit of a clunker on both sides there. You know, Luther Burden's clearly a good player, but you kind of, I guess, kind of wonder maybe what's going on with him a little bit. Like, how do you evaluate not just yeah. the Missouri team that George's going to see on Saturday, but kind of, you know, where things stand with Eli Drinkwitz going into almost the halfway point of year three for him? Yeah, year three, right? Year one was the COVID year. They they performed really well i mean he went five and five against an sec slate um including a win over over lsu when we weren't quite sure it was it was hard to see what was coming for ed ogeron and and lsu and they did it with a goal line stand that was a a big win for them at the time and i had a coach late in that year an sec coach who was talking at practice one day saying and Eli Drinkwitz deserves to be coach of the year in this league based on you know everything that people were going through at that time but the pressure's starting to build a little bit, and, and Luther Burton, who you mentioned, has been the focal point of it. Missouri historically has gotten a couple of good players regularly from the St. Louis metro area, but generally speaking, they've allowed other teams to go in there and pluck the best talent. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, for example, went to Ohio State instead of uh, staying in the state and going to Missouri. Um, that's that's the kind of guy who can who can change your program. So they land Luther Burden, who was down to Georgia and Alabama, and at one point I think early in his high school career was committed to Texas. And then they had a hard time getting him the ball Saturday against Auburn. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really easy, I think, to be critical from the outside and say, hold on a second, this guy represents more than just he might be your best offensive player. It's uh, how can you ignore him and not get him the ball? Well. The answer is, A, Missouri's not a great offensive team, and they've got a first-year starter at quarterback, and things are not, do not come easy for them. But, Brandon, the bigger picture, and I, I dove into these numbers last night, is you know what is the value of a five-star recruit, especially at a place like Missouri? So 
since the Rivals era started, and I don't know what year that was, um, but Georgia has had, by my count, 61 five-star recruits. And um, I don't know how many they currently have on the roster, but suffice to say, probably one of the top numbers in the nation, sure. right, based on Kirby's recruiting. Sure. Missouri in that span has had a total. Actually, I'll let you guess. Georgia's had 61. How do you think? How many five stars do you think Missouri's had? Three. You, you undersold, which I didn't think was possible in this in this action. The five. They've had a total of five five star recruits in okay. that same span. Okay. So how, you know, like I'm not usually a recruiting guy, but how do you compete against the Georgias or the Alabamas or the Texas A and M's who are pulling in such a higher quality player and sure. uh, and the volume of quality players? So. That will be – that's kind of the jumping-off point for where these two programs are right now and where they're going to be Saturday night, in my opinion. Can I finish with something that's a little bit, I guess, off the subject a little bit, but I think that you have sure. an interesting perspective on this. So I started the show today by talking about what is, I think, kind of a growing controversy among fans, and it's true across the SEC, and that's related to when these games are starting and the fact that there yeah. is a lot of – you know, value seemingly in playing night games because it's fun for the tailgaters. It seems to be a good uh, opportunity to get recruits on your campus. And the noon starts just don't seem to be as much fun for the average fan who goes to games for the opposite reasons uh, that I just described there a moment ago. But I also get the impression that TV really does like the noon start because what little I know about this, it seems like they do pretty well from a TV ratings perspective or whatever else. But, Tom, here's my issue, and I'm curious to, if you can kind of shed more light on this. It seems like this is a thing that fans talk about a lot, but in terms of the process for actually deciding who plays when, what time, there's very little that's actually known about how you know you guys at SEC, SEC ESPN SEC Network and the other networks who are involved here – how all of this works out. Is there something that you can kind of say to us that maybe we don't know about, you know, you know, LSU Tennessee being at 11 a.m., you know, Georgia being at 3.30 against Auburn next Saturday, and kind of the, just the, the general arguing that seems to go on related to all of this on a weekly basis? Yeah, I've, I haven't seen the television contracts. I don't know exactly how all this stuff works out. I, I do know there's a couple things to, to keep in mind. There are scenarios where the network's, um, and, and keep in mind, what, what complicates this is we're talking about two different networks that own the rights right now. Right. This will be simplified and I think a lot easier and more palatable once ESPN takes over everything. But with CBS picking games, ESPN having to wait, and it, it, it just muddies the water in a lot of different ways, and that's been an issue in years past. So that gets simplified in a couple of years when, when ABC, ESPN owns everything. There are scenarios where the uh, TV networks work with schools to give them the, the time that they want. You know, for example, Kentucky in October doesn't want to play a day game when Keeneland is going on. They'd rather play at night. LSU prefers night games. Um, I think Georgia prefers noon starts when it's a, a lesser opponent, a MAC opponent, for example. Like, let's play. And, and this is generally coming not from administration, but the influence they get from coaches, too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there are times where they work with the schools to say, you know what, we hear your request, we're gonna we're gonna serve you and put you in that window, because that serves you and your fans. But for the most part, th- these are business decisions made by algorithms and, and computers that know how to maximize ratings across the entire 
platform. So it may have been, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, a cigar-filled, the smoke-filled room, a guy's going, hey, no, we, we put us at night and screw that other team, put them at, the, at 11 a.m. Sure. They don't do it like that anymore. They know where the ratings are going to come from. They know what teams draw, and they can tell you before the season starts, oh, that matchup, that's going to pull in 5 million viewers, 7 million, 9 million, 10 million viewers. That matchup's going to get 1.5 at the most. So there, there are very few even – there's very little wiggle room for even it to be considered a, a conspiracy theory. They hate our team. No, these are businesses trying to maximize their revenue, maximize their ratings, and it has, um, has more to do with that 99% of the time than, than any horse trading or moving things around it, from the, my perspective. Well, either way, we are excited about uh, seeing you on the call for uh, Georgia-Missouri on Saturday. Your colleagues, Jordan Rogers and uh, Cole Kublik, obviously do a great job with that. We're not just saying that because you're on the show. I'm also going to Columbia for the first time on Saturday. I've never been before, so I'm kind of excited about seeing, I guess, another SEC locale. There aren't very many I haven't been to yet. This is one of my kind of final frontiers, so I'm looking forward to being. It is a wonderful college town, and Brandon, you picked the perfect weekend to be there. The weather is going to be absolutely gorgeous, like 73 tops and down in the 50s and sunshine and that's listen i grew up there weather can be really bad especially later in the football season you picked the perfect time well that's good news certainly better there than it's going to be here this weekend we can certainly say that. that's right it's a lot drier no doubt about <laughs> with it with great confidence tom thanks for being here today we'll look forward to seeing you on tv there on saturday night and of course hope to have a chance to speak to you on the show again very soon as well appreciate it safe travels thanks man Good stuff there from Tom Hart with the SEC Network. Shedding a little bit of interesting light there on kind of some of what we kind of hear sometimes about, hey, you know, what is, he used the phrase like horse trading. Like, well, you know, what is that process like? And, you know, TV networks, executives, they are a little bit more sophisticated about this thing right now. You know, they know what they're trying to do from a rating standpoint. And, you know, while this didn't come up with the conversation with, with, with Tom, one of the things we just, I think, evidence points you to is, is that they view that noon window is more valuable than it used to be. It's not necessarily a, a vast wasteland anymore to sort of just drop off the the worst teams. There's money to be made on the early window. And it's kind of like at one point in time when George was playing a bunch of noon games, the thought was, oh, well, you got to be better if you want to play later. Well, all of a sudden now, now George is good, and all of a sudden they're playing noon games because they are good. Or the other thing is, well, you have to play at noon because the team you're playing is not really good. It's like there's always seemingly a reason why Georgia doesn't get to play some of those later type games. And, you know, the SEC West teams don't feel like they should have to play at noon at all because that's 11 a.m. local for them. But if they don't ever do that, that just means it's more uh, on the SEC East. And that's indeed what the, what the situation is. Then somebody ought to come out and say it. But uh, I think the time shed some really interesting light on that. And it's a uh, – uh, well-explained situation from him there on that front. By the way, speaking of great explanation, let me, before we wrap up here today, give you a great explanation. If you're a Georgia fan, Georgia graduates are stretched out far across the country, in some cases around the world, uh, you can connect with dog fans wherever you are through our friends at the UGA Alumni Association. You can get connected by going to this website. It's alumni.uga.edu. That website, once again, alumni.uga.edu. They're going to help you get the most out of game day, staying up to date on what's happening with the dogs, but also just getting to know Georgia fans around you and uh, be a part of a game-watching party in some cases that's happening near you. This is true with cross cities all, all over the place. You can call the dogs in certain places. Even when you're not in Athens, you can do that there as well. 
and you can get some great content there as well. They're putting out some video stuff, uh, special digital downloads. They've got that for you there as well. So if you're a Georgia graduate, you want to show your bulldog spirit no matter where you are. And that's what the UGA Alumni Association gives you a chance to do. The website, once again, alumni.uga.edu. That's alumni.uga.edu because bulldogs never have to bark alone when it comes to the UGA Alumni Association. So wherever you are, you can show support for your alma mater with our friends at the UGA Alumni Association. I hope you'll check them out today on all of that. And as we wrap up here today, we love to do a golden shoe. And I'll explain this one here a little bit. This video got shared with me. I just thought it was really cool. Um, I guess one of the guys that does some video work for UGA will show his name to you on the screen here. Um, kind of put a helmet cam on one of the players running out of the stadium or onto the stadium of the day for the uh, run out. This is just a really good idea. I think for a lot of Alex Caputo is his name. He's a uh, video staffer there for UGA putting on the helmet cam and running out with the team. If you've ever kind of wondered kind of a point of view perspective on what it feels like to do that, something I think would be really, really cool. I've been lucky enough to kind of stand right near the mouth of the entrance when a when Georgia runs on the field, and it's a very, very a visceral experience. It's a great experience, but to kind of get a chance to see what it really looks like to actually run out on the field and have everybody cheering for you. I think Alex did a really good job with this video. Georgia got some creative folks doing some video stuff for them. So we'll give Alex a golden shoe for that today. You can find him on Twitter there, Alex Caputo13. Also, Gator Hater Updater. <laughs> All Florida's running into lately is trouble, including at Tennessee on Saturday. About 5,010 days. That's how long it's been since they have won a national championship. And our Gator Hater Countdown dogs back in Jacksonville beating up on those lousy stinking gators 32 days again from right now we will see you tomorrow on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia we'll look forward to talking to you then